and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord, everyone. Hallelujah. Let's pray before we're seated. Uh, let's ask God to touch us today and brother and sister boards away. So let's pray that God had touched them and Bless them in their efforts and be with them and strengthen them and bless our Sunday school and everything that's taking place today. Let's ask God's approval, his hand of mercy to be on it. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God of heaven, we love you this day. Father, we love and we thank you. And from the very beginning, Father, we want you to know that we can't do this by ourselves. We need you, God. We need your holy anointing. We need your guidance and instruction. Father, we thank you right now that you are the perfect one, Lord God. You are the one that we look to, Lord God. You're our hope, our strength, Lord God. Everything we need is found in you. So I ask you to touch this day. Be with us, Lord God. Touch our pastor, Lord God. Strengthen them, Lord God. Go with them. Direct and guide their steps, I pray. Touch us, God. Bind us together, Lord God. Give us the strength and the anointing that we need. Open our minds and our hearts, Lord God, that we may receive of your holy anointed word. God, I pray this day. And we will love and thank you for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I want to speak today on um, something that I don't know, I've thought about for a while and just fear. It's something that we all um, know about, hear about. And it's not just, I'm not speaking of the fear of somebody slams the door and you jump or nothing like that. That's just something that's common. But I want to speak on something that we would consider a spiritual fear that is, should be that we have to guard as a Christian. And I hope by the time that I'm done, you'll see exactly what I mean because, um, it's something that we have to take very serious that is, that the Lord has has made mention of, and it's made mention of in Scripture, that if we let this fear, a spiritual fear, go, it will grow to the point that it'll get bigger than what we would want it to. So what I, where I want to begin, if you want to just turn in your Bible, First Peter chapter three, or just follow on the screen. That's where I want to begin. This is the apostle. And where I'm going to start is the tenth verse, and what he's doing, he's pulling a, a, a quotation out of Psalms, the 34th chapter, and in First Peter 3, and I'll start at the tenth verse, and he starts out, and this is what he says: For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. And let him seek peace and ensue it. 
For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now, the apostle lives in the real world, so he lets us know in verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, Neither be trouble. Now that verse that I just quoted there, the apostle goes all the way back to Isaiah and pulls that out. And the last verse that I'll read is verse 15. And he said, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, one... um. I actually pull this, and so I'm going to just read parts of it. But I told um, a few moments ago Sister Donna Tumman that I'd heard her sing about Polycarp all these years, and I knew I wanted to speak of fear. So I said I paid note to the words in the song of what Polycarp was like and his nature. And I said, I think this man would go along with what I want to speak about. So I looked up, and there was a lot that was said, and me being so skeptical skeptical about what I read, I just took, and I'm going to just read parts, but he actually was what I found unique. In the seven churches listed in the book of Revelation, Polycarp was actually of the church of Samaria. He was the bishop, that is the second church that is mentioned He was about 86 years old when he was martyred. He died about 155 A.D. Revelation was written about 95 A.D. And then he was uh, the bishop there. He was, um, as we would say, all the martyrs. I'm going to have to read this because there's so much. All the martyrs then were blessed and notable and took place according to to the will of God. Now, sometimes this is what throws us off. We just think we're Christians and nothing bad should ever happen to me. But here, this is an account written of Polycarp being martyred, and they're saying they were blessed and noble and took place according to the will of God. Now, Brother Board, our pastor just preached to us mm, a few services ago, Remember when he is mentioned about Stephen? And if I had to say anything about that, God dispersed the church. Remember, he's, Brother Boyd was saying they stayed at Jerusalem. They wouldn't scatter. It was God's will for the church to go abroad. Drew, Jerusalem, Judea, and all of Samaria. But the church just stayed in Jerusalem. But God used a man full of the Holy Ghost. But he wouldn't use him the way we used him. God used a man full of the Holy Ghost to have him stoned. That's the part we would have had trouble with. But my point is God used a man full of the Holy Ghost to disperse the church. But we would have had trouble. But God, he's being stoned. But it is according to my will. This is a way it's going to be done. We have trouble with that. So this is what they're saying about Polycarp being martyred. It is the will of God at this time for this to be done. It is not for us to question. It is just something that is happening. Now, 
they look to the grace of Christ, they despise the torments of the world, redeeming themselves from eternal punishment and suffering of that single hour. For they kept before them the view that is the eternal fire, which will never be quenched. They look forward with their eyes and heart to the good things laid up, for they shall endure for they shall endure the things which eye has not heard, which ear has not heard, nor eye has seen, or entered into the heart of man, but was revealed unto them by the Lord. In other words, Polycarp says, you're threatening me with a fire. I'm not worried about the fire. I'm looking beyond the fire. It's not just today that you're going to scare me or put fear in me. Because it's more about than just today. We get so just vision-oriented that all we see is just today. And as a Christian, we can't do that. We can't get into that. And Polycarp says, you're threatening me with wild beasts and fire and all of this. And Polycarp says, this is more going on than just about today. And he says, I'm looking to that which his eyes hadn't seen nor ear has heard about which his God has revealed to me. So he goes on and he says, it is about evening time. They come to this place. They find Polycarp laying down. I'm skipping a lot of this. I'm just... Highlighted a few things. He's at a certain room in this little house from which that he had escaped to from another place, but he refused. They told him, Polycarp, you need to leave. The men are hunting you. And he refused to leave. He just said, look, the will of God be done. I'm not going. I'm just not leaving. So he takes and he refuses to leave. And he just said, look, I'm not going. They... And what he besought them when they came, he asked of them one thing. He said, will you just allow me to pray for one hour? And the men that came to get him allowed him to pray for one hour. He stood praying. They, in other words, he asked to be left alone to pray for one hour undisturbed, is how the story goes. So he takes, they leave him alone, he prays. He stood praying, full of the grace of God. But the, the story history says that after one hour, he didn't stop. He prayed for two hours. And it says that literally the men that came to get him was so overwhelmed by what they heard that they literally repented that they had came to get such an old man full of the grace of God. But they knew that they would pay with their life if they didn't bring him back. So they took Polycarp, they brought him back. The pro-council said to Polycarp, What harm is there in saying, Lord seizure and in sacrifices with the other ceremonies reserved on such occasions? And just make sure of your safety. But at first he gave them no answer. And when they continued to urge him, he says, I shall not, uh, I shall not do as you advise me. So they, having no hope of persuading him, began to speak bitter words to Polycarp and cast him out with violence of the chariot. Now, Polycarp was entered into a stadium. He takes this, and when he came near, the proconsul said unto him, asked him, said, Are you Polycarp? He said he was. Then they began to try to persuade him, saying, Have respect, Polycarp, to your old age said, look, you really don't need to do this at your age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent and say, away with the atheist. But Polycarp wouldn't do it. The proconsul began 
urging him, saying, Swear, and I will set thee at liberty. Reproach Christ. And then Polycarp declared, Eighty-six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And then he said, The proconsul yet pressed him. He said, Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Polycarp would not. He said, I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn the doctrines of Christianity, appoint me a day and thou shalt hear them. The proconsul replied, Persuade the people. They was in a stadium, remember. But Polycarp said, Now this seems to be getting to Polycarp. To thee have I thought it right to offer an account of my faith. For we are taught to give all honor which entails no entry upon ourselves to the powers and authorities which are ordained of God. But as for these, I do not deem them worthy to receive any account of me. I guess he knew of casting your pearls before the swine even before it was written. And that's me. That's not in the story. And then the proconsul told him, said, I have wild beast at hand. I will cast you, basically, as we know, in the lion's den. Polycarp's reply, call them. And then he said, I will uh, command thee to be consumed by fire. He says, you threaten me with fire, which is only going to be burnt for an hour, and after a little is extinguished. But thou art ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. The proconsul was astonished and sent and herald to proclaim three times in the middle of the stadium, Polycarp has professed he is a Christian. Now, while the whole multitude of both the heathen and the people who dwell at Samaria cried with an uncontrollable fury, then it seemed good to them to cry out with one consent that Polycarp should be burnt alive. This then was carried into a greater speed. As soon as it was spoken, the multitudes began to gather the wood. They made this. They laid aside his garments, loosening his girdles. He sought to take off his sandals. But this is what I truly found amazing. And when they was about to affix him with the nails, he said, this is a quote, Leave me as I am. For he that giveth me strength to endure the fire will also enable me without the securing me by the nails to remain without moving in the pile. He says, you want to burn me? I'll stand in the fire with nothing holding me. They did not nail him, but they simply bound him. And then placing his hands behind him, being bound like a dis, uh, distinguished man, he, uh, like a distinguished, excuse me, ram taken out of a great flock for sacrifice, prepare, prepared to be a burnt offering unto God, looked up into heaven and said, and this is his prayer. And I love this first quote. O Lord God Almighty, the Father of our beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, whom we have received knowledge of Thee. I just love that. It is truly Jesus Christ that made us how we know anything of God. 
And I'll start over, but I want to read start to finish his prayer. O Lord God Almighty, the Father of our beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received knowledge of Thee, the God of angels and powers and every creature, and of the whole race of righteousness of righteous who live before Thee, I give Thee thanks that Thou hast counted me worthy of this day and this hour that I should have part in the number of Thy martyrs and in the cup of Christ to the resurrection of eternal life, both of soul and body, through the incorruption of the imparted by the Holy Ghost, among whom I may be accepted this day before thee as a fat, acceptable sacrifice, according as thou, ever true, faithful God, thou hast ordained, hast revealed beforehand to me, and now hast fulfilled. Wherefore, also I praise thee for all things. I bless thee, I glorify thee, along with the everlasting and heavenly Jesus Christ, thy beloved Son, with whom to thee and the Holy Ghost be glory both now and to all coming ages. Amen. So we finished his prayer to those who all was appointed. They kindled the fire and the flame blazed forth in a great glory. But the strange thing happened, what literally happened when they lit the fire it formed basically an arch around Polycarp. And then the, the fire, basically what it did, it circled the body. And history says that without trying to be just too grossed, it was basically like a loaf of bread standing up there. The body was just browned, basically, and the fire just went around it. And what happened, the men were so enraged is that's where the pro-council ordered that one of the men take a dagger, and this we know from the song, to take and stab Polycarp. And literally that's where that history says that there was so much blood that the fire that was burning, it literally put it out. And then a, a great uh, quantity of blood that the fire was literally put out. So the people were still truly enraged by now. So what they done is they took Polycarp, put him back on the fire, and literally burnt him. And they took, when he was completely burnt, they took his bones, they kept his bones. And then, and what he was literally in Samaria, he, at this time, he was the twelfth person to be martyred. But it is a true account of a man that just says, do what you want. But what I didn't read is God showed Polycarp a vision days prior to this that basically showed Polycarp that you are going to be burnt. So God did not allow Polycarp to go to this without some knowledge. He didn't send him to the fire and him just show up and, Oh, my Lord, they're fixing to burn me. So Polycarp had a vision and he actually told the people when he awoke, he says, according to the vision that I had, I will be burned alive. That's why that there, there was no threat. They come, they threaten him, and he says, you know, you're not going to threaten me with this. If you want to do it with wild beasts, you do it. And that's where there's, they were just so enraged that they stabbed him, 
And all this happened, and I just found it truly unique. So he says, do what you will, but this is more than going on than just today. There's an eternity to think about. You try to put your fear in me, I'm not worried about your fear. I'm worried about what these eyes, these eyes have seen, and what the Lord has put in me. That's what I'm worried about. In the book of Peter where I read, the quoting that he quotes from Psalms, he says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Now, it's amazing to me that God would take, and he's going to use something that his own word says is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, no man can tame, and God said, that's what I'm going to use to promote my gospel. <laughs> that is ama- that's truly amazing to me. That we, we within ourselves cannot control this little member we have. And God said, that's what I'm going to use. Something that you and I cannot contain or control within ourselves. God said, when you give yourself to me and submit yourself to me, then that's what I'm going to do. And the Bible tells us, and I believe that's why the apostle put this in there. And then he says, refrain his lips, let him speak no guile, no deceit. He said, let him eschew evil, flee evil, and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Now, we know that to be true. If you want peace, you can't let it just land on your doorstep. you got to get after it. I'm telling you, you got to get after it. I'm, I, I just... I was just had a, I don't know how to word it. I'll just put it this way. I know of someone. It just seemed like everything was chaos all the time. And and I, I told my wife, I said, I don't know if chaos has been the rule for so long that that's all they know. It just, it's chaos all the time. It's just, at what point do you just stop and just say, how long do I let this go on? Life should not be this way. Enough's enough. It's just like when you when you hear the, the, the dripping faucet and you just, you know, how long do I want to just listen to this? Do I just get up, go cut it off? You know, how long do I put up with it? He said, if you want peace, you must pursue it. You have got to get after it. It is something that you have got to work at. It is something we all have to work at. You can't just go up and just everyone you see make a smart remark at or or just cut everybody off at every line you get into and think the world's just going to be your friend. It's not going to... And flip that over. You ain't got to let everybody walk all over you either. But there again, he says, you have got to pursue it. You have got to seek after it. And then if you want peace, you've got to do it. And then he takes... And then in, he takes and uses this, this imaginary, for we know it is real now, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. He tells us, he reminds us as a word of hope that whatever you're going through, I mean, when you just, think, when you just think, you know, when you just stand in your flesh and you just think, Lord, I really hope you're watching. <laughs> The apostle says, encourage yourself. 
For the eyes and the ears, God sees what you're going through. He knows the amount of labor that you're putting in. When no one else sees it, no one else recognizes it. When you do everything and you're worried and you're wore out and you're tired and you've done everything and you think, am I really, really, really getting what I need to get from this? And the apostle saying, for the eyes of the Lord are over. And he sees and he hears. And he says, when you go and you pray, don't think that God is not hearing you. For he does and he is. He is going to do that. And I remember, this is just, I don't know, I'm just the kind of person when I hear sayings, there's some sayings that it's just, I don't know, maybe when I get older than I am now, they might leave. I know names is uh, one thing I can go to church with you. Probably for a hundred years and I'll forget your name. But there's some sayings that stay with me. And ever since I heard this, it just has not left me. A man that had cancer. Oh. In the throes of it. Said this and I've never ever forgot it. He said God whispers in our pleasure. And he speaks to our consciousness and he yells in our pain. And God said to Job, if I have to speak to you out of the whirlwind, I will make sure that I speak to you. So the, the apostle is saying, his eyes and his ears is over the righteous. He knows everything about each and every one of us. Everything that you go through don't let don't let life beat you down beat you down. Don't let circumstances, don't let nothing of this life think, persuade you that God does not understand every amount of effort that you put in. Every time you do anything for him, it goes and I hate to use the word trivial, but it is using even a cup of cold water doesn't go unnoticed. That anything you do for me, God said, I will not let it go unnoticed. So anything that you do for me, God said, I will reward you. I will see that it is done. And then he says that it's often, he says, who, who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Now, he says, often you can do good, you can be kind, and you can do everything just right the way it should be done and you can just say good morning good afternoon to every person you meet and still get your head handed to you it just happens it just happens it's just life it's just life sometimes evil is going to be rewarded for good the apostle is just saying that he just said but and if you suffer for righteousness sake happy are ye other words, he's not saying you're thrilled about just being cut off in the line. He said if you suffer, the point is, for righteousness sake, he says you are still blessed. Why? Because there's somebody watching. That's why you're blessed. You're not blessed because they cut you off in the line. And you're not blessed because you think, boy, if I wasn't a Christian, <laughs> my buggy would hit back. No, it's because there is somebody watching. He is saying, look, when you are rewarded evil for good, you're still blessed. 
God said, I'll still reward you for it. So he's telling, he's telling us, he says, you will be. He says, you're going to be blessed. And then he says, now, God said, you are going to be hated by the world. And sometimes we do have trouble with that. You know, we, we, we're taught to love everybody, love everyone. And then all of a sudden you go somewhere and, and you're just cut off at the knees and you just think, do I know you? You know, have we met somewhere before? You know, and you think, why did I do that? You know, you, is, boy, I'm telling you, 95% of life, you can't take personal. If you do, boy, you'll cry yourself to sleep every night. I mean, you have to look, you, you can't do it. I'm serious. You can't do it. And because if, if, I'll put it this way, if you're loved and flattered by the world, you need to go home and check yourself. I'm telling you the truth. Read God's Word. He says you're going to be hated by the world. You stand up for this Word and you trust this Word, they're not going to like you. They're not going to like what you believe. Not because you're a bad person or not because you've wronged them, because you believe something. You stand for a principle. I mean, we're living in a world just like, the, the, you know, everything's new and all of this. Ain't nothing new. It goes right back to the Bible says everybody did that which was right in his own eyes. That's where we are right now. How dare you say I'm wrong in doing this? We're not saying they're wrong. The Bible's saying they're wrong. So we're not trying to put any beliefs or any kind of restrictions on anyone. And if you stand up and you say you have a belief or a standard that you believe, or right then, you're hated. Who do you think you are trying to tell me that I should live this way? And you think, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just believing this. And God said, because you would align yourself with me, they're just not going to like you. That's what I'm saying. He says, but and if, if you suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. You will be blessed. He says, be not afraid of their terror. Be not afraid of their terror. I don't, I don't think I give, give them that, but I just want to read where he took. This is the quote <clears throat> that he took. What this is pertaining to, where the apostle went back to Isaiah, Assyria. If you have read anything on the Assyrian people, them jokers was cruel. And I am not kidding. I could stand on my head and I wouldn't be emphasizing it enough. These people was mean. So what was fixing to happen, what made it so bad at this point, the Assyrians was fixing to come through Samaria. Part of God's people was fixing to align themselves with them. And they was fixing to attack. But Isaiah... Said it like this. For the Lord spake with me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people saying, Say not a, confeder- a confederacy. Right here, that should be conspiracy. To all them who say to this people, a confederacy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. But sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. And let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. So Isaiah was saying, These jokers is mean. 
But you can't get to the point that you start fearing them. If you want to fear somebody, you fear God. That's who you fear. You don't fear the Assyrians. You don't fear them. Don't fear them. Let God, let God be your fear. Now he says you start by fearing God. And they take, and they was tempted to give into this fear, this panic. Now, was this a real situation? <laughs> you bet it was. These jokers didn't play. I mean, they took and they just come in. They knew this was a dangerous place they was in. He said, do not be afraid of their threats. They had a well-deserved reputation for their cruelty. In the palace, literally, in the king's palace, was on the wall was stone carvings of the cruelty of their campaigns. That's how much they loved death. Literally, how much they loved death. In verse 14 of where I was, he says, do not fear their fear. Other words, I would say it like this, where he said, do not fear what they fear. Don't fear what they fear. Why? Because we know there's a two-edged sword out there. And that two-edged sword says, they may take your life, but that's all they can do. And like Polycarp, if they take your life, once it's done, it's done. They can't separate your spirit from your body. And God said, if you want somebody to fear, you fear me. Because I not only can take your life, I can take your spirit from your body and do with it what I will. And God said, that's the way you have to look at this. When you fear what they fear, Isaiah was telling them, don't fear what they fear. When you do, you start to fear death. And he was saying, when you do that, this fear is going to turn into panic, and you are going to get afraid, and what it's going to do, it's going to start a distrust in God. And he says, you can't get to this point. Don't do that. He said, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And he says, you do this, literally, at the very center of our life, there has to be one God. He's telling them, Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. He says, do this. God took on flesh, became a man. We honor Him. Set Him apart as Lord. He says, sanctify God. Set Him apart. Settle this. Set Him apart as God. He says, you have to do this. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. He says, the fear, back then from that quote from Isaiah, this fear is real. It was truly real. But he says, if you will take and sanctify God in your heart, at your very center, if you will establish, that's why I said last time when I spoke, just knowing who our God is, is going to settle a lot of fears. When you know who God is, know what His purpose was, and when you settle, he says, sanctify God in your heart. He said, if you would do that, then you do not have to fear what they fear. And you, in doing that, what they feared was death. He says, do not fear that. He says, because I'm the one, I am the one that has a two-edged sword. Don't fear them. Don't fear them. He said, if you want someone to fear, fear me. And we almost find it a paradox. That's why you have to look at it from a, a biblical point of view. It's a paradox. Fear the Lord. And, and people that doesn't go to church, they have almost trouble with this. When we say we fear the Lord, 
and we tell them, you don't understand the fear that I'm talking about. We have a reverence, a respect, a holiness toward our God. We don't come in here and in a cow in a timid way and worship our God under this fear. No. We separate. We have a, we, as he is, I just read, we set God apart. There's nothing like our God. He said, sanctify him as the Lord God. He is the only God. He took on flesh. We honor him as that God. And he says, if you would do this, settle this within you, then the fears that would try to come against you and the, the life would try to come against you, you can settle so many issues when you just literally know who God is. And you sanctified him as God. He told him to do that. He says, sanctify God. Look at that. He says, you can't do that. You can't look at fear. You can't fear what they fear. He says, do not do that. Respect God. He says, give every man an answer. When you look at this word answer in the Greek, it literally means be ready to give a defense. Everywhere I looked, it's defense. Now, that doesn't mean it defense like we would think it means. Like, you know, you're ready, you're ready to knock somebody down with the gospel. It doesn't mean that way. But it does not flip that over. It does not mean, well, our pastor says this is what we should do. No. I mean, it is the one thing I will agree with that the world says, this is a personal relationship. This is a one-on-one. I mean, we are here collectively right now, not just because of our pastor, because God loves us. He loves us as individuals, no matter who we are, all the backgrounds that we come from, all the personalities, the different cultures. God loves us for who we are. I mean, that's why, that's why he said, be ready to give a defense on what you believe. But it says, do it in meekness and fear. Don't just tell somebody, if you don't believe what I believe, that's arrogant. I mean, we're not the high water mark. This is a high water mark. You can't tell somebody, I'm the truth. This is the truth. We have to be very careful how we word that. You can't tell somebody, you know, you know, I'm, I'm this and I'm that. You know, leave I out of it. Say, this is what we base our life on. This is what we honor. This is what we respect. This is what we base our life on. This is what I love. This right here is what we hold our life accountable to. It's not what I think. They don't care what I think. This is what they should know. This is what I want them to know. This, this right here, this word. Because when we can show them literally chapter and verse, then, basically, I hate to use this, but it's a release of liability from us. For it's not about me. Literally. How many times in Scripture when the apostles, and, 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 and you can read it, I don't, I don't think they never use the word, it's not about me. But you could read that in there. You know, I must, I must decrease. That he must increase. You know, they're saying, look, you know, don't mention me. This is about our God. This is about his love and affection, his kindness and his grace and his mercy. And it truly is. So he was saying, he was saying, don't fear what they fear. All right, now, still speaking of fear, all right, 
I'm going to go to my last verse that I want to read. Revelation 21.5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these are the words, for these words are faithful and true. And said unto me, Now this is at the end of the written end of it all. It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now, I'm going to stop before I read this eighth verse. I have said, in what little bit account I have had in Revelation, from what I've read and through the years, it seemed like there is almost a fear when people read Revelation. And I want to tell it to you like this. Revelation was written to the church. All through the Bible, the church is represented as the bride of Christ. And I want to use a flesh and blood analogy. If a bride, if a wife is scared of her husband, there is something wrong in that relationship. If you read Revelation, and when you put the Bible down, if you feel afraid, take this from me. That's not of God. That is not of God. It was written to the church. We are living, there's so much going on, there is so much happening. And I believe that if there's any verse in Revelation that Christians need to be concerned about, and I'll say, and I'll use this as the only verse, as far as that you should really, really, really pay attention to, it's 21.8. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Okay. Now, if it were not for this verse, we would think that fear is a weakness. It's not. The fear I'm speaking of is a sin. And if you don't believe it, just go home and read that verse again. And God hates it so much that He put it... Even Look at who He list. And look what He put first. I gave you the ability to believe Me. And what... Before I say any more, I want to read something to you. I'll tell you another thing that is... Shocking to me. 
When you take fearful in the Greek and you do a run, a, 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 run, a chase on that, it only comes up three times. That really amazed me on the Greek word for fearful. Three times. It only, in the, the two times, one is 21.8, and the other two times is of the same passage, but it was written by Matthew and Mark. Now, it's talking about when the disciples, and it's spoken to the church, when the disciples was going to cross the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus asked them when the storm come up, why are you so fearful? Now, there was a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. He was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake and said unto him, Master, carest not that we perished. He arose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of a man is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Now, how is it that you have no faith? Do I think they had no faith? As in the way we would believe they had no faith? No. I believe that this fear that I'm talking about, that I want to... This was a natural setting, but I want to apply it to a spiritual setting. They going across. Jesus told them, we're going across to the other side. They was crossing the Sea of Galilee. At this point in the story, they had been with the Lord about two years. The part they was crossing was about five miles across. Jesus told them, let us go across to the other side. The disciples heard him say that. Now, violent storms is known in that area. They went across. Jesus was asleep. Now, how many times in life to us does it seem just like this? Jesus is oh so close, but just seems so far away. And that the boat was the waves kept coming till it was full and just, that's easy. That's an easy analogy. Till you get to the point you just think, I've just literally had all I can take. And a fear starts within us. And you just think, you know, I have just reached my limit. And then he tells them. They awaken him and their fear has grown to the point as they questioned the Lord, <laughs> don't you even care that we have, we're going to perish? They got the God that created everything. And don't you even care that we perish? And just so, they just look at the Lord and it just takes and literally, I believe what happened. When the storm started, the fear that they had. Now, these was fishermen. Some of them was at least fishermen. Other words, it wasn't all just, we could, I, I could use this. this. This wasn't a bunch of Wall Street guys throwing a boat out there, and they're out there, and all of a sudden the boat starts rocking, and what do we do? 
This was a bunch of fishermen that had been in this situation before. So where they're in this situation, when it starts to get bad, I don't know why it got to the point that it did. But what, what happens to us, and I believe we can uh, uh, appreciate this story, that we do not conquer this fear that what faith they had, this fear literally paralyzed their faith. I believe they still had the faith, they just couldn't use it. The fear got bigger than their faith was. So that's why God asked them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? The faith that you do have, you can't even access it. You do not have it. So just literally. And then, if I'm the Lord, I'm aggravated at this point. And that's a human term, but... In just a, think about it, in a matter of a few moments, they see just the complete span of the Lord. Here's the humanity side of God. He's asleep. They're looking at God Himself. He's asleep on a pillow. Now, the next moment, He's dealing with the prince and power of the air. He stands up, and in, when you let fear get this bad, <laughs> You can't speak to it. You have to literally rebuke it. So God stands up and rebukes it. So literally, they see the humanity. God is asleep. In the next moment, He stands up as God and rebukes the wind, and the wind ceases. And then here's His disciples. This joker's asleep. Next thing we know, He's rebuking the wind, and all of a sudden, it's calm. And then His disciples is scared of the Lord. They feared exceedingly. So not only are they, the fear, look, the fear had grown so bad, not only was they afraid of the storm, they even got afraid of the Lord. That's what I believe. They feared, the Bible says they feared exceedingly. Because what alarmed them so much is they're in this storm, God speaks the word and calms the storm, and then all of a sudden they're saying, what manner of man is this? Who is this can literally speak the word in this storm we're in and calm the storm and the fears gripped them so bad that they just, they want to, that's what the fear does. This fear, when you need to draw to God, it makes you withdraw. And God is saying, no, no, you can't do that. It is a sin to let this fear get to this point. You can't do that. That's why the apostle told us, don't fear what they fear. Truly, only when you take and sanctify the Lord God in your heart, truly, a fear of God is the only thing that will silence the fear of man and the fear of the enemy. Truly, a fear of God. Because if you do let it, let it get to that point, it's just, it's too far. I mean, literally, these are his own disciples that had touched and rubbed shoulders with him and felt him, literally, to the point. Here he is, here they are in a storm, and it amazes me. And then, then they get afraid. I mean, it seemed like they'd be high-fiving one another and say, Man, I'm, look what we just witnessed. They're not. They are afraid. God just calmed the storm. And they're scared to death. But literally, when fear entered the world, it's when sin entered the world. The Bible tells us, literally, literally, the second time fear is mentioned in this scripture, 
It's when God told Abram, you fear not. I'm your, I'm your great shield. I'm your strength. I am the one. He tells him that. Now, at least 19 times, at least 19 times in the New Testament, the Lord mentioned, fear not and not to be afraid. Because as a Peter mentioned that lives in the real world, but and if, you're going to do everything right and you're still going to be walked on. That's just part of life. That's just part of life. He said, but when you do that, you know what? That one that holds his two-edged sword, he's watching. And there's going to be times that I just pray for the strength of Polycarp. I don't know what we'll face. But I'm just saying, read Revelation, read it, study it, and just pray and just say when you do, nothing's going to happen to me. That's not the will of God. And God give me the strength to go through it. And when fear, fear tries to shove me to the point, you can't just talk to it. We've got to do the example that God done. You've got to rebuke it. And He has given us the strength. And he, as He said, fear not, for I am thy great strength. Hallelujah. God bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.